As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. We do this each and every jobs day, a spirited conversation with the Secretary of Labor, here is John Farrell. U.S. Labor Secretary Marty Walsh. Secretary Walsh, great to catch up with you, sir. Does this make your job a little bit easier going into the long weekend? It certainly does. Going to Labor Day weekend, uh, having uh, 315,000 jobs add the economy and the labor participation force number going up as well. So that's a, that's a good way to enter the Labor Day weekend. been planning to ask you this question since I went to Jackson Hole and caught up with Fed officials last week. I'd love your reaction to this. Do you think higher unemployment is a price worth paying? to get inflation lower. Say that again. Sorry, say it one more time. Do you think higher unemployment is a price worth paying to get inflation lower? Uh, I, uh, no, I, I don't think so. And I don't think that will be the case here. I think that, uh, and again, I, I don't want to c- contradict what, what the folks in the Fed are saying. But when you look at the, the job openings in America right now, I think we're going to be consistently strong as we move forward here. I think we're going to continue to, to people be going back to work, having the unemployment, having the labor participation rate getting bigger. I think that's important. I think what's going to reduce the, the inflation is obviously uh, the Inflation Reduction Act will help us on that. The gas prices continue to come down will help us on that. And, and then, you know, I think the biggest unknown is going to be what's happening with Russia and Ukraine. This is what Chairman Powell said last week. He said higher interest rates, slower growth and a softer labor market condition will bring down inflation. They will also bring some pain to households and businesses. He said this, a failure to restore price stability would mean far greater pain. You say you disagree with that, Secretary Walsh? No, you know, I think, I think the, the chairman certainly has, has, his, has, has a lot more knowledge on this than I do. Uh, but, but what I, my concern is, I, what I don't want to see is, is people being laid off. I want to see continuing seeing people go back to work, people being able to, to earn good wages. Uh, I think that, you know, overall, uh, and again, we're in a very interesting time when it comes to our economy. Nothing that's been predicted or no indicators that we've talked about in the last two years is like any other time in the history of our country. So I, I think that, you know, as we think about inflation coming down, there's lots of reasons for why inflation went up. And it's not the same old pressures of the past. Well, this is what Senator Warren had to say to CNN over the weekend in response to some of this. She said, you know what's worse than high prices and a strong economy? It's high prices and millions of people out of work. I'm very worried that the Fed is going to tip the economy into recession. Do you worry about the same thing? 
No, I think the Fed's going to be very careful on what they're doing. I think they're taking a very uh, consistent, unique approach to what, what's happening here. And I think that, you know, again, as we th we're already seeing some of the inflationary pressures not come down enough, but we're starting to see those numbers go down in the right direction. Uh, clearly, we have, we have a ways to go before, before we get to where we want to be in our economy when it comes to inflation and, and prices. Uh, but again, all of, this wasn't all of this was caused for different reasons. And I think that, you know, we just need to continue to work on supply chain. We need to continue to get goods and services into our country. And long term, we need to produce more here in the United States of America. Just for Americans looking down to D.C. at the moment, Secretary Walsh, I think they're hearing the chairman of the Fed say one thing and they're hearing another thing from the White House. The chairman of the Fed is preparing the American people for pain, pain that we have to go through to get inflation lower. And I know other people out there think we can get a soft landing, but I'm not hearing that same concern about the future from, from you, sir. Secretary Walsh, why are you a little bit more optimistic than, say, this Federal Reserve? Because we, we have a strong economy and, and the president has laid down some really good foundation here for the future of, of what we're doing here in America. The infrastructure bill, I mean, I, I take a different approach to this as, as, a former, as a former mayor of the city. I think about how do I grow my city? It's by investing in infrastructure. It's about creating more housing. Uh, the housing obviously is a little slow right now in the United States being built, but I think there's different reasons for that. Uh, and, and companies are still looking for people. We, we have, you know, we had a meeting a couple weeks ago at the White House that people are, were looking at for 700,000 people working in cybersecurity. We have an ability to hire more nurses. We need more teachers. We have lots of jobs in our country that we need for the future of our country to stay open. So, so I think that when we think about bringing down inflationary pressures, I think it's going to be, look very different than it has in the past. I think a lot of people hope that you're right and some other people are wrong on that front. Secretary Walsh, thank you, sir. As always, we appreciate your time, especially ahead of a long weekend. Thank you very much. John Farrell with the Secretary of Labor there uh, talking about a better than good jobs report. Randall Crossner, he's a former governor of the Federal Reserve System, math from Brown and at Booth School, economics professor at the University of Chicago. Uh, Randy, I, I want to talk here about America's labor economy as being a homogenous, where we talk about an all-in, say, 3.7% unemployment rate, or is it about the haves doing well and a good part of America flat on their back? Uh, there is a lot of um, diversity in the um, and the labor market outcomes. I think you're exactly right. So this is not something that's even. But as you were describing, this is really what the Fed is hoping for. More people are coming back into the labor market. That helps to uh, to reduce the tightness of that market. And you saw that manifest in slightly lower wage growth, which is exactly what the Fed is hoping for, that more people will come in, relieve some of the uh, the pressures in the market and take some of the pressure off uh, some of the wage increases. So that'll make it easier for the Fed to uh, to, to try to bring inflation down to its 2% goal without um, uh, pushing the economy too far, uh, uh, too far down. Mm. Uh, Randy, we've got uh, the participation rate to that point at 62.4% then. How high can the Fed hope and, and wish and will that number to get? Well, they'd like to get a lot higher. Maybe they'll get a little bit higher. I think it's a, it's surprising how much it, it hopped up. My guess is that um, it may not uh, stay that high or it might come down a little bit, but it's going in the right direction, which is exactly what uh, we what we want to see see happening to reduce some of the labor shortages, to reduce some of the, uh, the pressures in the labor market. Because it's been a bit surprising, given how strong the labor market is, that a lot of people haven't been bothering to even look. Randy Krosner, based on some of the takeaways... I think you're going to hear that word Goldilocks a lot this morning. 
Would you push back against that characterization of this report, given what you're expecting in the months to come? Well, it's just one number, uh, so we wouldn't want to go go too far. But I think it's it's consistent with where, where the Fed wants to go. I think it uh, has made the markets uh, somewhat happy that because uh, I think they were worried that there could have been a blowout report here, and uh, unfortunately. Good news in the labor market can be bad news because the Fed will have to respond uh, more. And so I think it's it's on a good path. But the Fed is still going to be debating 50 or 75 basis points. Yep. And I think it's going to end up at, you know, very close to four by the end of the year, if not at four, and then be, you know, hold with a four handle uh, through much of 2023. Randy, thank you. Randy Croson there of the University of Chicago. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Whether gloom or optimism, we speak with Jeffrey Rosenberg of BlackRock, their portfolio manager for their systematic multi-strategy fund. We're thrilled he can join us each job day. Jeff, we need to recalibrate into next year. As John Farrell mentions, we need more data. But this seems to be one sigh of relief. Equities up. How does the bond market have a sigh of relief? Well, it's a sigh of relief, Tom, because you had a lot of expectations really following the the Jackson Hole uh, presentations, speeches, both by Powell and Schnabel that were, were very hawkish with regards to central banks, definitively stating that they were focused on inflation. And so the setup going into today was a little bit skewed to the downside that if it was a stronger report that would have only solidified expectations for the 75 basis points in, in September. And if it was a significantly weak report, then the market might have looked through that as opposed to what we've seen you know, in the last couple of payroll reports, particularly over the summer rally. Uh, it had been a, a market that, hey, if we got bad news, bad news is good news. And it may no longer be the case that bad economic news and slowdown is really going to push the Fed off of its tightening cycle because they've been so clear to tell us it's really about inflation. So I think the look mm. through for today, Tom, is, is really about what does the report signal about any kind of inflation look through. And I think the labor force participation rate number is really the key uh, takeaway that is the most interesting piece, as, as you discussed a minute ago with Randy, which is, you know, a little bit better than expected news there, a little bit weaker than expected on the wage front. You know, modestly, that's good news from the bond market perspective of not having to see the Fed really react to uh, inflation maybe as a strong Again, one data point, we're not going to overread that, but that's the one takeaway I would have from this report that I think is, is important is, is the look through to inflation. 
Okay, so I'll be in danger of over-interpreting one data point then, Jeff. Um, with that participation rate, we've seen Fed swaps showing a pairing of bets on rate increases. Does it make sense then to expect less hiking from the Fed? And in what, in, in what sense? Less hiking in the near term or less hiking overall? Uh, less, less hiking next year? What, what do we think? Yeah, it's it's definitely about the near term trajectory. I think what you're seeing in the markets today is a, is about you know the 75 versus 50 debate. Today's number you know maybe pushes back a bit, and that's why you're seeing uh, the rally in the front end of, of interest rates. But let's not overinterpret again one data point. Um, this isn't really going to significantly change the trajectory uh, of the Fed, and the terminal rate debate is is still very much uh, unsettled. And today's yep. labor market. Uh, report isn't really going to settle that debate. We're going to focus a lot more on the inflation and the inflation trajectory. You know, a minute ago, Mike McKee mentioned the you know some of the housing numbers. Um, you know, this is one of the big challenges here that we're seeing is a, a huge transition from home ownership yeah. uh, to home renting, and and you know that rental price is a is a huge component of that inflation. Uh, outlook. Right. So th those things are not really being addressed here on this labor market report. And that still faces, yeah. uh, the market still faces yeah. that uncertainty. And, and, and John Farrell, what's so important here, and you brought this up before, it's a key insight, is what do we really learn about where the terminal rate is for the Fed? The answer is this doesn't help us. Well, look, at the end of the day, I think the Fed's been pretty clear. They want tighter financial conditions. And to some degree, that's going to cap the upside over the next few months, Tom, if they're not satisfied. And ultimately, the Fed's in control, and we've said it a million times over the last week. We've gone from a Fed put to a Fed call. The good news, I think, for a lot of people, just for now, if you're bullish this equity market, this is a relief. Will it stick by the end of the day? We'll see. Futures rolling over just a little bit, positive a half of 1%. I'll continue this conversation with Jeff's colleague, Rick Reader. We'll do that at the top of the hour. Looking forward to that conversation. Also catching up with Victoria Fernandez across Mark, Michael Gapin of Bank of America, Jim Bianco of Bianco Research too, and Secretary Walsh of the White House, Tom, all coming up. Secretary Walsh about 9.45 Eastern time. Very good. John Farrell with the Secretary of Labor. We will look for that on radio and television. J J Joining us now, um, excuse me, Jeff Rosenberg still with us as well. We've got a great team lined up here to get you out over the next 17 minutes of this jobs report. Jeff, what are you seeing in flows? What's the fear level out there? I don't want to know inside BlackRock baseball, but are, are, are people selling bonds? Is money flowing out of debt? Yeah, Tom, as you can imagine, you know, the flows are highly reactive to yeah. the returns. And this has been a historic uh, negative return year for uh, all categories of fixed income. And, and, and we've seen that in the past week as well in terms of acceleration, in terms of rates higher, spreads wider. Uh, this is a very challenging environment for fixed income because we come, we came into this year really pricing the old inflationary regime. And, and, and obviously the inflationary regime has surprised the Fed, it surprised the bond market, uh, and, and we continue to see those surprises. And, and so until we get a sufficient inflation risk premium priced into the bond market, uh, returns are, are, are gonna be challenged. Now the good news is you're starting to get more of that priced in more of it priced into the front end of the curve. You talked a minute ago about the terminal rate. It's the back mm. end of the curve where you, you still see a lot of confidence in the bond market that inflation will fall back right. to the 2% uh, target. 
And, and so this is this is a bond market that gives the Fed an incredible amount of credibility. Uh, that remains, uh, you know, to be seen, and that's a vulnerability to, right. to future. Uh, fixed income uh, returns. Jeff Rosenberg, thank you so much. Really uh, appreciate the valued time here on Jobs Day before a holiday weekend. Michael Purvis joins us from Tallbeck and uh, Capital, always writing really intelligent notes. Michael, let me cut to the chase. What is the why and the how we get the Standard & Poor's 4,500? Well, Tom, you know, one thing that's been... Um, kind of working in the market's favor broadly, you know, putting aside positioning and relief rallies and, and so forth, is that, you know, the corporate earnings machine has been really performing here. Um, now, obviously, there are a lot of questions about how, whether that um, trajectory can be maintained into the end of the year and in particular to 2023. Um, but look, you know, nominal GDP is very high. It's the components of nominal GDP in terms of the weightings of inflation versus real growth are not what we want them to be but we're still seeing seeing you know nominal high nominal gdp drives of nominal earnings right there and so we we are seeing you know continued strength if you look at q2's reports they came in the surprise levels were better than they were in q1 there um and on the other side on the valuation side look you know we have had you know you go through this massive fed pivot over the last 12 months. It's been pretty remarkable, but it's also really well-priced. And, and PE multiples uh, are and the equity risk premium by, by my uh, measures have really calibrated appropriately here. So look, if we wake up and, you know, next week, the 10 years had 4%, which, which, which it won't be, but, but, you know, if it were to do that, then obviously we're probably going to see some further PE contraction and so forth there. But I think mm -hmm. right now the markets are, are going along. And so I think, you know, uh, uh, we need to get through this uh, September Fed meeting. We need to get through some, yeah. uh, you know, you look, okay. economic data is good. Um, uh, the unemployment data, um, you know, is still really robust. The ISM we just got. And, is, maybe, is, and maybe, Michael, what we're seeing here is markets responding or coming around to that view because U.S. 10-year yields, 30-year yields resume their rise. 10-year yields up to 3.27% uh, right now. You talk quite positively about stocks and about the earnings story, but others say uh, that the earnings need to catch up with reality. And that means uh, that we need to see cuts to expectations around corporate profits. Why do you not see that? Well, look, I, I think part of this is simply comes back to nominal GDP being being high this year and probably pretty high next year as well. My biggest risk to earnings next year, I mean, of, of course, if we get a big recession, yes, that's going to there's no question that will be um, a big hit to earnings here. But, uh, you, you know, the, what are the other real risks for earnings next year? Simply inflation coming down a lot if that were to happen. A lot of the earnings uh, w will come in, and some companies will certainly see right. some some margin compression there. Well, Michael, I want to give you, I yeah. want to give you a victory lap, Michael Purvis. We had Priya Mizran earlier with a call of the summer on curve inversion, and every once in a while, Purvis absolutely nails it, folks. A few years ago, Michael, you nailed ADXY, the blended Pacific Rim currency regime. X Japan. We now have uh, yen through a new level moments ago, 140.80 on Japanese yen, many talking 145 weaker yen. Michael Purvis right now on what it means to see such currency weakness and strong dollar on the Pacific Rim. 
Well, I think it, it, it's it's very significant. I mean, the fact is, is that the United States dollar relative to so many currencies, the euro, but particularly the yen and and many EM currencies is sort of a, a effectively a petro currency, um, certainly on a relative basis here. So, you know, if you're talking about the yen, you have to consider hydrocarbon vulnerabilities and they're as, as painful as oil prices are here. It's a lot less so than it is in places like Japan and, and the Eurozone. So I think I think there's there's that, you know, if you tell me, Tom, that oil is going to 150, I'll, you know, I, I can't imagine how the yen wouldn't get a lot cheaper or the euro uh, mm. get sub substantially cheaper relative to the dollar here. So I think that's okay. one of the weird dynamics is that oil is leading is, is a key thing that's driving right. uh, that's leading currencies around by the nose. Uh, and does that lead to a change in BOJ policy, Michael? Is that where this leads? Well, well, I guess we've all been waiting for that for some time. I think there's a, you know, there's certainly an interesting um, sort of game of chicken the BOJ has been playing here. We'll see um, at what level of uh, sensitivity they have. But I think they're, you know, after like, you know, three decades of very, very considered uh, deflation, disinflation in Japan, you know, maybe that they feel this is what it's sort of needed to kind of wake up um uh the economy there but uh it, it is a dangerous game i think they're playing at some point uh michael purvis thank you so much greatly appreciate it there nobody ever says make it complicated that is why nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward client ready resources from clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising healthcare costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Right now, Tiffany Wilde with us, uh, PIMCO chief U.S. economist, understanding that Paul Sweeney and I are not prime age, but <laughs> Tiffany Wilding is prime age. Good prime age statistics, Tiffany Wilding, and that we're getting back to pre-pandemic levels. Describe what prime age is, please. Morning, Tom and Paul. Yeah, so prime age um, is is uh, 25 to 55, um, and oh, it uh, it yeah. is exactly what it suggests that. Um, you know, this is the prime working years, um, you know, as, as defined by, uh, I guess, the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Now, now, keep in mind, though, that prior to the pandemic, you're actually seeing people participate in the labor market longer. Um, so you actually did see participation rates for that kind of 55 to 65 uh, or even 55 and older uh, increase. But that all changed after the pandemic when we had a large wave of retirement. So now, um, you know, kind of the prime age participation rate is a really key focus here for, um, you know, for broader participation rate trends. Well, okay, it's a, it's a key focus is the prime age. Is the rest of the economy getting back pre-pandemic? I mean, the, the compendium of statistics you look at, is that a unique idea? Or are we really getting back to what, Paul, January mm -hmm. of 2020, that level? 
Well, so I, I think what's interesting, and this came out, I think, in, in the various papers that were presented at Jackson Hole. Yeah, Paul Sweeney papers. gave one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, that a lot of the statistics and a lot of the underlying structural trends in the U.S. economy, uh, you know, like uh, participation rates or um, other, you know, labor market trends or, or like the, uh, you know, productivity reports and things like that, they all actually are kind of behaving in a way that you would expect. So they're getting back to where they were prior to the pandemic. They're kind of normalizing, if you will. What looks to be a more structural change um, is, of course, the inflation data. Um, and it's not just, you know, the prices data, obviously, but the wages data, although wages came in maybe a little softer than expected this month, overall, wages have been really strong and prices have been really strong. So that, you know, in terms of thinking about the scars post-pandemic, it's really the inflation data that looks the most changed at this point. How do you think the uh, Federal Reserve will look at this labor market, uh, given the data point that we had just today? Yeah, I mean, so I think I think clearly the question that markets will be grappling with is, are they going to move 50 or 75 uh, basis points at this upcoming FOMC meeting? You know, I think I think today's report probably didn't change people's views tremendously on that. And it's really going to come down to the inflation report, the CPI report, which we'll get next week. Um, you know, I, I think overall the, the, the data, uh, you know, would um, the data that we've seen since the last um, FOMC meeting, in particular the inflation expectations data, the Fed cares a lot about a Philadelphia Fed survey of professional forecasters because they tend to be less moved by energy and food prices, which can be volatile. They've moved up their longer-term inflation expectations, um, I think, more materially. And so that's important for the Fed. Um, you know, and, and I think overall this in, in employment report, you know, even though, you know, maybe there was – um, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's, it's consistent with an economy that's still quite resilient and an, a labor yeah. market that's still yeah. quite resilient, not clearly slowing. So, I mean, that's something that the Federal Reserve is going to be focused on. Not to give away the Vatican secrets, but Tiffany, at PIMCO, surrounded by bond people, bond animals, <laughs> I'm fascinated if you are advising them on an inflation function that gets their bond market back to 7% or 5% or 4% or 3.6% away from the 2% required mantra of Fed officials. Are they modeling towards something higher than 2%? Well, I mean, I think you bring up a really good point, and that's if you look at, uh, you know, Taylor rules, uh, which is, you know, kind of where the Fed funds rate, you know, should be, kind of a normative rule, given, un, you know, given the inflation that we're seeing, given the unemployment trends, et cetera, um, then, then the Fed funds rate should be much higher, you know, than it is right now. You know, now, of course, explaining that difference um, is the fact that you do still have, uh, I think, pandemic-related things, pandemic-related issues that are impacting inflation, um, and those things will, uh, you know, moderate. So, um, you know, the we've seen a moderation in uh, logistics and shipping costs, for example. Um, things um, from a global supply chain perspective look like they're getting back to normal. Of course, demand for goods was was really outsized as a result of pandemic, et cetera. Those things should calm down. 
Um, but ultimately, if you kind of look past those things, underlying inflation uh, and the underlying trend in inflation looks like it's, it's increasing higher. So I do think that, you know, we're getting to a point, and the Fed has said this as well, we do need to be restrictive. Uh, so that means rates above probably the terminal level that we, were, that we saw in the last rate hiking cycle. Um, you know, and, and then those restrictive levels probably need to stay in place. And, of course, that's what the Fed officials really kind of tried to hammer home at Jackson Hole, um, is they're not going to be quick to sort of turn around. Right. Um, you know, they're going to they want to keep things restrictive to make sure inflation gets back to where they want it to be. Tiffany, I trying to get my head around this recession call. I mean, Tom and I tried to go out for a cocktail after work yesterday, but we could not find an empty bar stool anywhere in Midtown. People are out and they are Tiffany, spending. It's stunning. It is it's stunning. Coast to coast. <laughs> what do you make of the consumer? What do you make of the consumer's ability to maybe stave off a recession? Yeah, I mean, I think overall the consumer looks really strong right now. Um, I think the areas that, that don't look as strong um, are the productivity uh, statistics. We're in a, basically a productivity recession. Usually you think about productivity as being very much linked to uh, corporate profitability. Um, and there, the data, at least, that the government provides has been maybe a little bit more mixed on that. So I think, you know, what, what we're looking for here in terms of a recession um, is, is that you have increasing costs, uh, which can't be passed on to consumers as easily anymore. So you get a, you know, kind of a more of a profits decline. Okay, do you see evidence of that? And that results in, uh, you know, in in some labor, uh, you know, changes in labor, maybe even some firing that we're starting to see in some sectors, like the tech sector, for example, um, you know, and and others, maybe real estate type of sectors. Um, I mean, so we are starting to see that. So, I, but I think overall the consumer is still strong, um, but that's because the labor market is so strong. Aggregate incomes well, are strong, um, but the labor market lags. Keep in mind. So, when you have uh, you know these shocks to the corporate sector, you know that will filter through to labor markets and then to consumption with a little bit right. of a lag. Is this so, the you know, roar- is this the Roaring Twenties? My grandmother was da, 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 10, 12, 12 years old in the pandemic of 1918. Really? And she would always talk. We laughed at her, of course. She was yep. nuts. Boom. She was 100% right. Yep. A lot of people died. But she talked, Tiffany, about the rebound before the Depression crept in of the roaring 20s. Is that the behavior you witness now in the consumer Paul Sweeney just described? Well, I mean, I, I think you know, overall consumption is kind of back to levels that we saw pre-pandemic. Um, you know, I, I guess I wouldn't, you know, think of consumption right now as, as anywhere close to like kind of an irrational exuberance, you know, and I do think there are uh, indicators that, um, you know, some consumers are actually uh, struggling quite a bit here under the increases in, in prices that they've seen. So low income consumers, we've seen savings rates on those fall uh, increases in credit card debt and things like that. Um, so those consumers are struggling, you know, quite a bit here. But um, I, mean, I think overall, uh, the consumer, they're, they're pretty, uh, pretty strong um, coming into this and uh, tr- pretty strong balance sheets coming into this as a result of the fiscal stimulus that we saw. Um, and they're still pretty strong. So it really yeah. comes down to the labor market here, I think. And, and if you see a deterioration, now keep in mind, how does the Federal Reserve slow down the economy and slow down inflation? Uh, well, they have to put enough pressure um, you know, on the broader corporate sector that you do start to see some labor right. market weakness. 
Um, so that's really the key here, I think, to the recession call. It's that, you know, you have the Fed that you know is going to restrict the economy, you know, and does that kind of get away from them? You know, and I think history sort of suggests that when they do restrict the economy that, you know, it's hard to start, you know, it's hard to control that and fine tune it. Um, and right. what can, you know, what can be a period of below trend growth can turn into a recession, you know, kind of stall speed, if you will, can start to contract uh, very yeah. easily. So I think that's what the concern is. Tiffany, uh, thank you so much. Tiffany Wilding yep, with us at PIMCO. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. And subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.